Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, invites you to be the informed patient with the podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. Almost half of patients in cancer treatment never obtained medical marijuana that was prescribed, and a team of researchers from Upstate wanted to understand why. With me to talk about the study that was published recently is Dr. Karna Sura. He's an assistant professor of radiation oncology at Upstate. The study was called Experience with Medical Marijuana for Cancer Patients in the Palliative Setting, and it was published in the Curious Journal of Medical Science. Before we get into the goal of the study and what you found, can you first tell us what palliative setting means? Palliative setting is usually for patients in pain or uh, classically in stage four setting, but I think this uh, the idea of palliative medicine has actually expanded across every patient just to kind of help with pain and discomfort, as well as just symptom management. Regarding medical marijuana, why might it be used in cancer treatment? Marijuana in general, people use it for that euphoric feeling, but it, it can be used for nausea, vomiting, and the munchies. Those different options are very effective for cancer patients because usually that's the biggest problem is weight loss, nausea, vomiting. So marijuana as being a natural substance may be an option um, for these patients and actually fix a, a lot of problems out with one medication. Does it have to be smoked? No, it doesn't have to be smoked. Actually, the nice part about medical marijuana is, although classically most people try to smoke marijuana, you can obtain it in a powder form, vaping form, um, lozenges. There's a lot of options for patients. Uh, and the, uh, usually dispensaries have a variety of choices and they, the pharmacist at the dispensary will discuss different options for the patient and what would be beneficial for them. So I think that's one of the misunderstandings about medical marijuana that everyone thinks, oh, you have to smoke it. And I'm not a smoker, but you could use many options. Does medical marijuana differ from regular marijuana in other ways? Yes. Medical marijuana, the main difference is, you know, when people purchase on the street, you actually don't know what percent marijuana you're getting or what you're actually obtaining. With medical marijuana, there are very strict regulations. The bottle, basically everything has to be tested and approved. The amount of THC and CBD is all very regulated and has to be approved and tested by the dispensary. And so the New York State uh Department of Medical Marijuana that regulates this is very strict about this. So you know you're getting very pure marijuana and what percentage of each CBD and THC you're obtaining with anything that you take. And CBD and THC are the more active ingredients. Yes, that's correct. Yes. So although marijuana has multiple different components or ingredients in it, the CBD and THC are probably the most well-known of being the most, uh, the strongest or the potent parts of it. THC is more of that high euphoric feeling, usually used for eating and the munchies and nausea and vomiting, as well as some sleep. And CBD helps with more like neuropathic pain. So actually over the counter, you can find CBD now and buy it. But usually, you know, this is the type of CBD you're getting under the medical marijuana is usually much more regulated and much purer um, than you would get really, at, you know, over the counter. Now, why did you decide to research this topic? I think it's a really interesting topic. You know, patients really want kind of non-pharmaceutical methods of treatment. And I think medical marijuana is one of those really uh, potent uh, non-pharmaceuticals that we could potentially use 
for patients. And I, I think there's a lot of questions and stigma and you know, there's not enough information about this. And, and, and the big problem is, you know, federal uh, research is kind of limited on medical marijuana. And obviously it's not um, a prescription drug, so there's no uh, money for trying to find information or trying to actually study it, you know, in a randomized fashion. So I was really interested in just our patient population. Does it work? Are people using it? You know, it, it, these are questions that we actually didn't know. And it was very helpful to actually get the basic data so that we could better inform our patients as well as, you know, um, think of future studies that we can actually use and try to get more information. So you focused on patients that are treated at upstate from central New York. Yes. The goal was to look at first here because we, we use medical marijuana quite a bit for our patients here in upstate. And actually, a lot of the providers are in the palliative care department that actually will prescribe it. So we have a very focused method, uh, you know, multidisciplinary method that we all work to, to work together in a framework. But we, our palliative medicine providers are the ones who do the pain management and the medical marijuana. So it's really nice and very it was an easier study because there's not too many bodies that are involved in this. There's only a couple of people. So we can kind of focus on those patients and the patient population. So how did the study work? I'm curious how many patients enrolled and, and how, how long this was underway. This was a retrospective study. So we did like a retrospective chart review um, of the patients. The goal was to kind of start when the database was, whatever information it kind of started from. And, and our endpoint was just basically when we data collected. And so the goal was to see one, you know, patients enrolled in the database or people who obtained a certificate and then actually chart check them and see how they do during this time period. So um, the hope is from this retrospective study that we can actually do prospective studies and collect patients and have more uh, direct impact, you know, and understanding as they're going through the process. But you know, retrospective studies are kind of our first level of, to learn of the information that we have so far. This is Upstate's The Informed Patient Podcast with your host, Amber Smith. I'm talking with Dr. Karna Sura. He's an assistant professor of radiation oncology at Upstate who, along with a team of researchers, examined the experiences of cancer patients who were prescribed medical marijuana during treatment. What did you discover and were you surprised? One of the discoveries was, as you pointed out, like the number of patients who did not use the medical marijuana program, even though they were enrolled. I, I think we found a lot of different reasons for that. And um, I think the, the biggest issue is a lot of times is patients are referred to late or they may be going into hospice care where medical marijuana is not easily obtained in that setting. This is, uh, has changed since then, but medical marijuana, the biggest problem is, is that you can't go to a pharmacy. You have to go through a dispensary to actually obtain it. And so these dispensaries are limited at certain places, and but you have to either send yourself or a caregiver to obtain it. Now, the regulations have started to ease a little bit, so there's more ability or more access, but it will take some time for you know patients to have more access to obtaining medical marijuana. Well, walk me through this, if you would. If if a person is prescribed medical marijuana, what happens after that? What do they have to do to actually fill that prescription? So the first step is patients come and are identified for being acceptable for medical marijuana. We talk about the reasons, the rationale, pros and cons of them with the patient. Once that happens, how the New York uh, State program works is we enroll them into the database. So we accept and saying that as a prescriber that this patient would be eligible for medical marijuana. 
We have to write the reason, the rationale behind it, fill their information. Once that's done, we give them the a certificate saying that they are acceptable for medical marijuana. And the patient actually has to go to the database themselves and fill in their information. They're then sent an ID card actually in the mail, which is a medical marijuana card. And the card is what they need to actually go and get the medical marijuana. So once they have the ID card, they go into the dispensary with the card and the dispensary will have a pharmacist there who will actually talk through them and talk to, you know, about the different options. And then the patient can buy the medical marijuana right there. So it's a little bit of a different process. We don't really, the doctor is not giving them a script to say that you need to, you know, take so much medical marijuana. It's usually more so the patient and pharmacist driven. We're just giving them the barrier to access it, basically. So are the dispensaries inside existing pharmacies or are they separate structures? They are all separate structures. There are a bunch of dispensaries in Syracuse. There's a couple of outskirts in around our, the area, but they're all separate structures and separately regulated. So, and, and the worst part is they're all cash. There's no credit card, nothing like that because of how the law works. So. Everyone has to have an ATM there that you can use, but you have to pay everything in cash. Is it covered by health insurance generally? No, not that nothing is covered by health insurance. Like I said, it's it's basically a cash transaction. So it's it's pretty expensive or it can be expensive for patients who are on fixed incomes. Um, there's really no options. No insurances will cover it. And again, part of this has to do with the federal laws behind it. Part of it is the medical marijuana and the DEA classification, but part of it is the federal banking classification that basically certain activities are regulated. So it, it gets complicated and a lot of, um, you know, credit card manufacturers and banks don't want to get involved with it. So it, yeah, there's a little bit more of a restriction on that. How do you counsel patients who are reluctant because they fear becoming addicted? You know, it, the biggest problem with addiction is in general, you know, even with pain medication and medical marijuana, I think we are trying to fix uh, a specific problem with a goal in mind of an end date. Okay, and I think a lot of times with addiction is that you're kind of uh, fix trying to um, fix a problem with not actually fixing like the underlying issue. So a lot of times with cancer treatment, it's a symptom control for a reason, meaning the cancer pain or nausea, vomiting from chemotherapy. So once you stop the chemotherapy, that goes away, and we really don't need the medication anymore. Or usually the, pa the patients are um, uh, less reliant on that. So it, it's a little bit different, I think. And, and I think there's a lot of stigma for that, like, oh, I'm going to use it and I'm going to be a, a addicted to it. But I think that, you know, with patients who you have an endpoint, addiction is really difficult because you basically are monitoring that and you're actually changing the values or changing, you know, what you would recommend based on that the symptom that you're trying to fix goes away. So I, I do try to counsel them to say that, you know, we, we want to put you on this to get you better so that you can do your normal activities, but then we will try to take it away over time so that you, you, again, you won't be addicted to this. Material. Among the people in your study who did use medical marijuana during their treatment, what were their experiences? The, the experiences are really positive. One part of medical marijuana is that patients who benefited, benefited pretty well. It's usually up their symptom management. So like the nausea, sleep, vomiting, weight gain. I think those are the big ones that actually helped a lot. Um, pain was one of the things that we were looking at, which seems like some people benefited while others didn't. 
And that may be related to how much they were doing or what they were taking in. And so that needs to be better clarified. And the other, other side of it is that there's really not that much side effects that we could see from medical marijuana. So I think it's like a, a, a good drug that, you know, if you compared it to other medications that we can use or prescription medications, it would be pretty much on, the, on a really, you know, very high benefits for low risk. And so it would be a, a pretty useful medication overall. Does it replace the need for narcotic pain control? Right now, how we are prescribing it, it's supposed to be like a supplement for narcotics. So it's not supposed to be a complete replacement. Now, some patients can benefit and have a complete replacement. Like in the study, we did find a couple of patients who basically did not need to take opioids anymore after, um, after starting medical marijuana. But for right now, how it's supposed to be prescribed for patients is as a supplement. Is there other research you would like to see done on medical marijuana usage in cancer patients? A lot of people in the United States want to see randomized clinical trials done with cancer patients. I think, you know, um, actually, the good news is yesterday, President Biden released some information that they're going to change the whole marijuana classification as well as do change the federal law behind it, which will change a lot. So once they move the DEA classification down, for marijuana, actually research can be done on it and federal dollars can go into research. So that's going to be a huge difference. Uh, and I think that's the biggest problem is once we get access to federal dollars or even state dollars that would allow us to do research, it's going to be a, a whole game changer. Um, and so I think that's kind of the biggest um, hurdle right now is is the, the finance part of it, not the actual enthusiasm to do it. I think a lot of people want to use medical marijuana. And I think that patients, you know, um, really want to understand what's the benefits of it before using it. So with the previous restrictions on studying medical marijuana, do we even have a consensus among doctors about the best dosage or the best delivery to get the best results for patients? We have none of that information. That's the biggest problem is that we don't know what is the best delivery, what is the best dose. Is there a dose response to pain or nausea, vomiting? What's better, THC or CBD? These are all questions that we want to know answers because the biggest problem is how do you counsel patients what's better for them? Unfortunately, at the dispensaries, there's a lot of different options, but you know we don't have the data to say which one is better for each patient or customize it. And there's a lot of frustration because, I mean, you can spend lots and lots of money to get each different thing, um, and but if you if you're not using it, it's, it's a lot of money wasted. So I think it's really hard for patients to decide which one's better. Usually my recommendation is to start with a kind of balance and then move away and see which one you like better. This is the biggest problem is that even the pharmacists, you know, they try to give them counseling, but each patient's a little bit different. And um, it's really hard to know for right now what's beneficial for them. Would medical marijuana potentially be able to help people with earlier stage cancers? Yeah, medical marijuana could be used for anyone. It's perfect for any type of patient, as long as, you know, we're, we're aiming for a specific symptom to kind of improve. So I, I think uh, I've had a couple of patients who benefited, they're going under treatment for head and neck cancer, where we have a lot of weight loss. And uh, unfortunately, because of the weight loss, they need medical marijuana, and they maintain their weight with that. With more and more states legalizing marijuana, including New York, is that going to change the accessibility or the usage, do you think, among people? And will they still need a prescription for medical marijuana? 
I'm not sure how that's going to change in the New York state system in terms of will there be a more access or more dispensaries available? I, I do think it's going to be a good thing that, you know, it will remove the doctor a little bit out of the system and allow people to go and pick it up themselves. But I also think that will be a barrier for certain patients because of the fact that patients may be not as easily accessible for that because doctors may not bring it up because it's available. Um, so I, I think we need a better way to maybe incorporate it or use it in a better fashion. Well, Dr. Sura, thank you for taking time to share your research with us. So much for having me. My guest has been Dr. Karna Sura. He's a professor of radiation oncology at Upstate. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine, brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu slash informed. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening.